0: Good
1: afternoon, my conscious co-creators. Welcome to another edition of the Conscious Consultant Hour Awakening Humanity. I am very, very pleased that you are all here with me today. We've got a wonderful, wonderful show in store for you today with a very, very special guest. And I'm going to introduce them in a second. I'm not going to, I'm going to forego getting into my usual quotes of the day, but I just wanted to read them because I felt they're so apropos. So I'm just going to read the quotes from the universe and from Abraham, I'm not going to get into it, but we'll probably get into it with the guests. So first from the universe, manifesting doesn't just work sometimes, which pretty much the, which is pretty much the only lesson you have to learn. Thoughts become things. Ooh, the universe. I guess the universe wants to remind us that manifesting works all the time. Uh, Abraham says, when you understand the laws, then you understand that it is no more difficult to create a castle than it is a button. They are equal. It is not more difficult to create $10 million than $100,000. It is the same application of the same law to two different intentions. Abraham. Mm. So you see why I just I had to read these quotes. I'm, I'm not I usually discuss them for a few minutes, but I'm not going to bother because I really want to bring on my guest because I'm so thrilled to have with us today, world renowned specialist in human behavior researcher best-selling author and global educator, Dr. John Demartini. Dr. Demartini is one of the featured thought leaders in the movie, The Secret, and has developed a series of solutions applicable across all markets, sectors, and age groups. His education curriculum ranges from corporate empowerment programs, financial empowerment strategies, self-development programs, relationship solutions, and social transformation programs. His teachings start at the core of the issue, Love it. Addressing the human factor and range out to a multitude of powerful tools that have proven the test of time. He has studied over 30,000 books. Wow. That's that's why he has that background there. That's your 30,000 books right there. (laughs) Across all defined academic disciplines and has synthesized the wisdom of the ages, which he has shared on stages in over 100 years countries. His presentations, whether keynotes, seminars, or workshops, leave clients with insights into their behavior and keys to their empowerment. Welcome to the Conscious Consultant Hour, Dr. D. Martini.
2: Well, thank you for having me. Thank you.
1: Oh, my, my pleasure. My pleasure. So I, I always like to start off, I'm, I'm sure most of my audience knows who you are, but I, I really like to always start with a little bit of your own personal journey of how did you get into sort of this human empowerment movement? I mean, is this something that you studied since you were a kid? Was there something like when you were maybe a little bit older that that got you to sort of pivot and and shift into this? Or or was this just always a lifelong passion of yours? (laughs)
2: Um, I was uh, told in first grade by my first grade grade teacher, Mrs. McLaughlin, in front of my Mm -hmm. mom and dad, that I'm afraid your son is never going to be able to read, never be able to write, never be able to communicate, never mount anything, never go very far in life. I did have a speech problem. I actually started going to speech pathologists when I was a year and a half old. Wow! I did have a deformed arm and leg at the time. I um, could not read, could not write properly. I wrote backwards and I couldn't spell. I definitely had learning challenges. Gotcha. I made it through elementary school by asking the smartest kid questions, and they would tell me stuff. And if I heard it, I seemed to be able to regurgitate some. Huh. Okay. That worked until I turned twelve. When I turned twelve, my parents moved from Houston, Texas, to Richmond, Texas, in a small little town where there were not a lot of smart kids. It's a <laughs> low, low socioeconomic, racially uh, divided group. I didn't have anybody to ask questions to and I dropped out of school. So I left home at 13. Really? And I lived on the streets from 13 really to 18. Wow! So I was a street kid. I lived in a bowling alley for a while. I lived in park. I lived all kinds of places. Wow. I hitchhiked at age 14 from Houston, Texas to California and down into Mexico to surf. Oh. Cause I was decent at surfing and Texas wasn't the surf capital. You had to have a hurricane to serve. So I hitchhiked to California. uh, Lived there on the, in Huntington Beach, California at the time, 1968. Mm -hmm. At 15, I um, made enough money panhandling to go to Hawaii. I lived under a bridge at the Kamehameha Highway at Sunset Beach first, then Iokai Beach Park under a park bench, which is still there. Wow! I lived in the bathroom when it rained. And I lived in an abandoned car after that, that I found. And I kept social climbing until I eventually found a guy that was leaving and wanted to sell his tent for a few bucks. And I lived in a jungle in a tent until I nearly died at age 17. And luckily a a lady found me in my tent or I wouldn't be here. And that led me to a little health food store because she tried to get some nutrition in me and led me to a talk by Paul Bragg, And Paul Bragg one night, one hour with his one message, spoke to me in a way I'd never been spoken to before. Uh And he said that we have a body, we have a mind, and we have a soul. And the body must be directed by the mind. The mind must be guided by the soul in order to maximize who we are. Mm -hmm. And that what we think about, what we visualize, what we affirm, what we feel and what we think about and act on does make a difference. Our thoughts do become things. Mm And if you take command of those, you can change your life. And you want to set goals for yourself, your family, your community, your city, your state, your nation, your world, and beyond to 120 years. Nobody ever talked to like that. And then he took us through a guided imagery meditation experience. And in that meditation, I saw me standing on a balcony in front of a million people speaking, Hmm. probably some sort of dissociative identity disorder. But um, I was there with tears in my eyes, and it was so real that that vision became the vision that's now painted by Andrew tischler who's a famous mm-hmm. painter, and is a giant mural in my office of me wow. speaking in front of a million people with every major iconic building from every major city around the world in the background. Wow! So I had a dream that night. I met Paul Bragg at age 17, which wow. is 48 years and two weeks ago. Wow! Uh, to overcome my learning problems, learn how to speech, speak properly, uh, properly, mm. learn how to read. And mm. that was the first night I thought maybe I could someday become intelligent. Mm. So I had a dream to become intelligent an intelligent represented teacher. And that was the night I started a, t- a new trajectory in my life and tried to overcome my learning problems, which was not an easy project. Sure. I, I had to go back and take a GED. I had to go and, There's a lot of things I had to do and I kept failing.
1: Uh.
2: Luckily my mother, who said something to me, turned it into my favor. She said, when I failed my first attempt in school, she said, when I was crying on the floor, I was now 18. She Mm. said, son, whether you become a great teacher and philosopher and travel the world like you dream, whether you go back to ride giant waves in Hawaii like you've done, or with the return to the streets and Panhandle is a bum. I just want to let you know your father and I are going to love you no matter what you do, son. Mm-hmm. And with her love, her certainty, her presence, her gratitude, that's healing. And I made a, my hand went into a fist. I saw the vision of me speaking in front of that big audience. And I said to myself, I'm going to master this thing called reading and learning. I'm master this thing called teaching and philosophy and I'm gonna do whatever it takes, I'm gonna travel whatever distance, I'm gonna pay whatever price to give my service of love across this planet. I'm not gonna let any human being on this face of this earth stop me, not even myself. Mm. I got up, I hugged my mom, and I went in there and got a dictionary out, and I started memorizing 30 words a day in a dictionary, and she helped me recite those properly until my vocabulary was strong enough to pass school, and I have never stopped reading since that day.
1: Wow, wow, that's amazing, that's amazing. You know. thank you so much for kind of sharing that very human story because it's so easy for us when we see somebody like yourself who's successful who's affecting millions of peoples of lives around the planet that we we tend not to really know the story of the struggle of of what it was that you went through to become who you are today and so for me it's such a a wonderful reminder that you know we all have our struggles right we all have something to overcome maybe not as you know dramatic as what you had to overcome but that you know that not to like put people up on a pedestal because we've all like been through tough times haven't we
2: nobody's worth putting on pedestals nobody's worth putting in pits each of us are worth putting in hearts
1: yes because when we put
2: people on pedestals, we minimize ourselves and we are too humble to admit what we see in them is inside us. And we have mm. disowned parts. And that emptiness mm. is a void. And when we look down on people and we're too proud to admit what we see in them is inside us, we also have empty parts. It's only when we have reflective awareness where the seer, the seeing and the seen are the same, that we actually have fulfillment. We realize that we're here for love. Yeah. And, and, I, and I don't mean in a romantic state. I'm talking yeah. about in a, in a real universal state, a real transcendent grace state of love, realizing that everyone in our life is a reflection and guiding us to the authentic self. Because when we puff ourselves up, we're not ourselves. When we put ourselves down, we're not ourselves. Only when we're loving ourselves as a result of loving them, are we able to be ourselves. And the magnificence of who we are is far greater than any fantasies or nightmares we'll ever impose on ourselves.
1: Mm -hmm yeah so true so true and and these is and this is what mystics and philosophers and 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 spiritual teachers have been saying for thousands of years right it's 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 so interesting how some of these messages that have been part of society for thousands of years are still so relevant today as a matter of fact' probably even more relevant today than they've ever been before aren't they
2: The philosophy, the the, the perennial wisdom, the perennial philosophy, which has syncretically been evolved by many standing on the shoulders of many else um, has purified and refined uh, linguistically the expression of our most profound nature.
0: Mm.
2: And if we give ourselves permission to be that profoundness that we actually are, and not get caught in comparisons other than the comparison of our own daily actions to our own true highest values and priorities we liberate ourselves from the bondage of the things we infatuate or resent and uh, the attachments of the Buddha and the desire for that which is unavailable and the desire to avoid that which is unavoidable futility and, and so-called suffering uh, and liberate ourselves into uh, the presence of of our own greatness, which is inseparable from all greatness. Mm.
1: Mm. Beautiful, beautiful. So well said. So well said. Um, Okay. I want to take a a quick break now. And and when we come back, uh, I'd like to just talk about, um, you know, it's one thing to then overcome a learning disability and and overcome sort of those trials, but then um, sort of what, kind of got you to say like I want to help other people like there's one thing to study this stuff to help ourselves which is what we need to do first but then to say to have that in a way confidence or or have that calling to then say okay I want to help other people and and you know now that you have that vision how do you go about like starting to work with people and then I want to get into um, the breakthrough experience, because um, that was sort of my first introduction to your your deeper work. I mean, other than having seen you in, in the movie The Secret, but a friend many, many years ago said, Oh, there's this wonderful book by John D. Martini. You should get it. And I read the book, and it had such a profound impact on my life. So that's so why I want to we'll get to there. Okay. So, and a quick shout out to Sanaya and Patty on the Facebook live loyal listeners. Thank you for tuning in. Glad you guys are with us. Uh, Let us know if you have any questions or comments uh, for Dr. Demartini or myself. So everybody, please stay tuned. You're listening to the conscious consultant hour awakening humanity. We do this every Thursday, 12 noon to 1pm Eastern time right here on talkradio.nyc and all over Facebook live. And we will be right back after this.
3: You're listening to Talk Radio NYC at www.talkradio.nyc. Now broadcasting 24 hours a day.
4: Do you love or are you intrigued about New York City and its neighborhoods? I'm Jeff Goodman, host of Rediscovering New York, a weekly show that showcases New York's history and its extraordinary neighborhoods. Every Tuesday live at 7 p.m., we focus on a particular neighborhood and explore its history, its vibe, its feel, and its energy. Tune in live every Tuesday at 7 p.m. on talkradio.nyc. Hey,
3: all you listeners. Looking to boost your business? Why not advertise on Talk Radio NYC with very reasonable rates? Interested? Simply send us a message on our website, talkradio.nyc.
1: Welcome back to the Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity. We're speaking this hour with Dr. John D. Martini. Um, Dr. D. Martini, so you you really overcame a lot from a young age, more than most people that I know, um, and 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 you had this this turning point, this vision of, of of speaking to millions of people around the world, and and then you started to to. Work on your uh, uh, learning challenges and and learn to read and write and and really uh, uh, become for lack of a better term, just more functional in society What had you saying like at what point did you say like okay, I'm good now, let me help other people
2: well when I first started uh reading the dictionary? and mm-hmm. memorizing 30 words a day, as my vocabulary was growing, and my mom tested me on the words each night, I started to eventually pass the classes, right. which was, was exhilarating. Everybody else took them for granted. I, I, it meant a lot to me because mm-hmm. I was told I would never do that. Mm-hmm. Shortly after that, I was living in the library when I wasn't in class. And I was trying to increase my vocabulary every day and read as many books. I kind of had a goal to read that library. And uh, a lady came up to me and I was doing yoga in between every once in a while, I'd just go behind the bookshelves and just do some yoga. I had a little mat kind of thing, little uh, cloth. Uh And this 375 pound Afro-American woman saw me back there and she asked me if I could teach her yoga. Really? she <laughs> was a lov- lovely spirit, but could not bend over to touch her navel, I think. <laughs> but she was lovely, and that was the first student I ever had. Wow. And it meant a lot that somebody would even ask me for information.
0: Right.
2: And I loved that.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Then I was meditating outside in the sun, practicing meditating in 100 degree weather to imagine myself in ice to not sweat, see if I could overcome my perception. And a Persian gentleman from Iran asked me to teach him meditation. That was my second student. Wow! And by the way, that was 48 years ago, and he's still a student. (laughs) Wonderful. And went on to be a doctor also. Uh, Then I was in the library one time, and about 16 or 17 students came in and saw me preparing for an algebra test and asked if they could study with me. Oh, and that wow. was amazing to finally have people ask me to help them. Mm. And because that was unimagined mm-hmm. initially. And um, so I was now studying, I think harder than most of the other students, some of them wanted to party and wanted to do things, they just wanted to cram for a test, I wanted to know. right? And so I was starting to excel. And I started tutoring them on math, which helped me. Hmm. So I learned that the more I helped others with it, the more I learned. So I, right. I had a narcissistic motive and an altruistic motive. I wanted to learn and it was helping me learn and it was helping them. So I was getting the fulfillment of watching that combination, that equanimity within me and equity between them and me. When I finished the first two years and I went on to University of Houston, I used to do meditation under the trees and read and do yoga under the trees outdoors. And people were fascinated by this. This is 1970, mm-hmm. early seventies. Yeah. So they would gather around and start asking me questions and they would see me meditate. And that was not as common in those days. And so they would gather. And I would have on average about hundred to 150 students every day under the trees. And sometimes it was 12 to 400 every day. And they would gather and ask questions. And I would make it a point, if I didn't know, I would find out and I will have that answer tomorrow. And I use that as a catalyst for me to expand my horizons. And I also had a dream to study universal laws. And so I wanted to know what that was. And it led me to the study of the disciplines and I made a list of every known discipline that you could study. And I realized that an average PhD was about hundred textbooks on each one. So I made a commitment to read hundred textbooks on every known discipline. Wow. So that was a way of having a polymathic awareness because I wanted to make sure that the information I was sharing was the, was the most fundamental, most true information I could get my hands on. So if I saw that the same principles are applied in every discipline, then I have a higher probability of knowing that those principles are solid because you have hundreds of different experts leading to that realization. That didn't guarantee it, but it just increased the probability. Right. So I wanted to build a foundation of knowledge that I could stand the test of time. With. And I wanted to uh, read the greatest classics of the greatest minds, of the greatest fields and the originators of the fields that I could,
0: hmm.
2: because I found that that was, It helped me build a foundation and help them build a foundation. So it just kept growing. By the time I went on to professional school, I was teaching seven nights a week. Every night, I was getting up at two in the morning doing meditation till 2.30, speed reading. By then I was speed reading four to seven books in the morning before 6.30. And then I would go jogging, come back, shower, go to school, go to clinic, walk across at seven o'clock, start teaching seven to 10 PM, go to bed at 10, get back up at two. I slept four hours a day for 35 years and just read. Wow. So I, I kept a disciplined pattern uh, and each, each day I had different topics based on what I read that morning because I learned that the faster I give out information from what went in, the, le- the less time between input and output, the more the retention.
1: Oh, interesting.
2: I found out that if I grabbed information in and spread read information, I also learned that I had conscious awareness and had unconscious memory. And that if I was asked questions that would have asked out information that I didn't know, I know, I would then find out I knew it. So I I, I pushed myself to uh, put deadlines on myself, to find out what I was able to do. And and I started studying dentistry on oncology and medicine and chiropractic and and many fields. I started doing them at the same time. And that pushed me to, to get more out of myself, to give more. And I've, I haven't stopped. I, I've already done 350 speeches this year and I, I intended, you know, I do them every day, sometimes wow. six podcasts a day. And, wow. and I'm right in the middle of a seminar, as you know, I'm in the training program right now and I just took a little break as my daughter's doing some of the practical <laughs> and then I'll come back to it.
1: Thank you. Well, thank you for taking the time out of that. I really appreciate it. Um, At what point did you feel that your work started to reach a a broader audience or a more mainstream kind of audience? Because you've been kind of in the public eye now for quite a long time.
2: You know, uh, by the time I was in the professional school, I was lecturing around the the community, doing Mm -hmm. programs at health food stores, wherever two or more gathered, I would talk. Yeah. I mean, I did elevator seminars. You know. I did restaurant seminars. I, anyone who would listen, I would speak. Yeah. But um, I started getting more and more opportunities to speak outside my own place. Uh, and um, when I actually opened up my practice, I I started doing classes every night.
0: Hmm.
2: And I just continued that. And I started to uh, do radio and I started doing TV. I had my own TV show when I was 27
0: hmm.
2: and I, and they allowed me to compete with Dr. Red Duke in Houston, Texas on healthcare. So oh. he had a medical show on different conditions and they wanted an alternative on those conditions. And so uh-huh. we had kind of a channel 2026 20, kind of competition. Uh-huh. And that was, uh, that was great because then they eventually allowed me to do the show in my clinic. And so that was, that helped me grow the business. And then I had lectures and I had a about a 3000 square foot lecture hall there and we filled it up and I had megaphones out into a parking lot because there was a big <laughs> cinema there where you could not, I got that from Robert Shooter. I said, I want to make sure that people get to hear this. And then I grew my practice uh, in 18 months from a small thousand square foot place to a 5,000 square foot place for five doctors and 12 staff members in 18 months. Wow. and and the people wanted to know how this was going on and i started getting opportunities to speak on conventions and in clinical work and then it just kept growing it, it, wow. it, i've been now in 154 countries speaking
1: 154.
2: Wow. 154
1: well um how many books have you written now
2: if you just do the kind of the self-help things it's about 40 if 40. you do all of the manuals it's over 300 Wow! all the all the Textbooks. I just finished a two-volume textbook on solar physics, on the relationship of consciousness and solar physics. Believe it or not, Um, that is a nine hundred, almost a thousand-page two-volume text. So I've done a lot of those in a lot of disciplines. There's around three hundred probably.
1: What was your first book?
2: The very first book, uh, which I never published, was on the lymphatic system. Oh, I was fascinated by the lymphatic system on draining uh, proteins out of the vasculature. And mm-hmm. it was a, and I saw that that was an impact on health that was not being really emphasized. And so I summarized every book I could find in Houston, Texas on lymphatic system and put that book together. Uh. And then I wrote a book on acupuncture because I was studying acupuncture also. Mm-hmm. And then I wrote a book on um, uh, one, one was called the modern guidelines towards health. And and then I wrote another one called The Illusional Basis of Man's Health and Disease on how perceptual illusions affect physiology. Oh. And then I, I started writing various books on different topics and, and, it just, and then self-help books and right, all kinds right. of books.
1: What was your first self-help book?
2: Uh,
1: the first self-help
2: book really uh, outside health was Lessons for Life. Lessons. And it was a, a series of vignettes that um, just practical things that I was telling patients mm. to try to help them because a lot of patients wanted a quick fix and they wanted somebody to rescue them. And they were extrinsically driven, looking, they're blaming things on the outside, looking for solutions on the outside instead of looking inside. Yeah, yeah. And so these, these vignettes were practical things they could do on the inside. Cause I was a believer that if I give them a fish, I feed them for a day. If I teach them how to fish, I got them for a lifetime. Right. And I think I taught them more than they wanted to hear. Yeah. But that was my, my, uh, they, they, but you know, they still remembered it. Some of those, some of those clients that are still alive are online now. And they they go, I remember you
1: Uh,
2: 40 years ago when you were, I was your of your patients. And it's kind of inspiring to see that. But I uh, Lessons for Life was probably the first real little self-help book. Gotcha, And you know, before, before I, I launched that book, I um I had a vision of having my books in a bookstore. And so I went to the bookstore and I said, I love reading books. I love summarizing them. If you don't have a speaker here of an author, can I summarize books and do presentations to help sell your books? Ah. And they go, okay, I got, we got no speaker. We got a place there. We'll announce yeah. it and see what happens. And I think we had the first time I did it, we had like 17 or 20 people gather around. And I sold 17 books. <laughs>
0: and
2: they, they go, cool. I sold them all books. And it wasn't my book.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: It was, it was a book I just read. Mm. And so they asked me to keep doing that because I was pushing, uh, promoting books. And they were making a bigger deal out of it. Yeah. And that spread across uh, uh, Walden's bookstores and Dalton's bookstores.
1: Uh, Dalton. Yeah, Dalton. Yeah.
2: And so. They, they let me do that all over the place. Dalton said, well, this guy will sell your books. Let this guy
0: speak. Mm. <laughs> but I
2: was gathering names.
0: Mm. I was
2: ele- elevating my knowledge. I was practicing my speaking. I had a double win out of it. Yeah. And then when I had my books, then they would take it and I could get make sure my books would get there. Yeah. So that was, that was the way I, I opened that doorway.
1: Cool. Cool. I, it, 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 I'm so glad to hear it because I actually just published my very first book in November and, and kind of like your lessons for life. It's a a culmination of my blog. That's like a bunch of vignettes of just different perspectives and different thoughts. So starting off the same way. Uh, One of my loyal listeners, Patty on the Facebook live asks, which one of your books should she read to start off?
2: Well, I don't want her to should, I don't want to should her, (laughs) I, I want her to let her heart be the guide and what oh, okay. she would love to read. But uh, some people read the Breakthrough Experience. Some people mm. read Inspired Destiny. Some people read the yeah. Values Factor. Mm. Um, that's, in fact, today I just found out that the the Breakthrough Experience in Lithuania is the number one book, which I oh, thought really? yeah, after all these years it's just surfaced there wow. and it's gone in Turkey this this month and it's doing well in Turkey and also Lithuania
1: great okay that makes a great segue we're going to take a quick break and when we come back i want to dive into the breakthrough experience because it definitely touched my heart and i just think it's a great book to talk about given everything that's going on today okay so everybody please stay tuned you're listening to the conscious consultant hour awakening humanity and we'll be right back after this
3: you're listening to Talk radio nyc uplift educate empower
1: at 7 p.m., so tune in on Talk Radio NYC. Are you a conscious co-creator? Are you on a quest to raise your vibration and your consciousness? Welcome back to the Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity. We're speaking this hour with Dr. John Martini, uh, a human potential expert, I'll call him. <laughs> um, so, so Dr. Martini, when did the Breakthrough Experience come out? That's a good question. I'm not sure the exact year.
2: I, it's, I think, around 20 years ago. I, wow, it's that my, long already. It's about, yeah, it's about uh, 20 years.
1: Let's see what the book says. Two thousand and two.
2: Yeah, about eighteen years. Eighteen ago.
1: years. Yeah. All right. Wonderful.
2: I, I've um, been teaching. I've been teaching the Breakthrough Experience seminar
1: mm-hmm.
2: for thirty-two years. Ah. It Started out as a seminar, and Hay House uh, invited me to do it into a book, and it's evolved obviously in the last eighteen years. So
1: right, right. We do an update. Where did the idea for the Breakthrough Experience come from?
2: I was flying. I believe on American Airlines from Houston, Texas, to Montreal, to go and do a presentation to a group of doctors in Quebec city. Mm-hmm. And on the flight, I did a little meditation and three things came to me. One of them was originally breakthrough to higher power, the VIP program. It was a program that of originally for 12 people around a board table to discuss Breaking through what was blocking them in any way to grow their life or business, hmm. and it came to me that way. Break through the higher power, of the VIP program, vision, inspiration, and purpose program. And it, it also said, uh, "Within the tiny uh, seed lies the mighty oak, an idea whose time has come." And I wrote hmm. that down on a Jack Boland's uh, gold journal. If you remember those,
1: ah, uh, yeah.
2: And uh, and I also got two other things, two other programs. And I wrote it down and I said, okay, when I got to Quebec, I said, I just got a real inspirational thing. Whenever I get a tier of inspiration, I follow it. So I'm launching a program. And I called it the Breakthrough to Higher Power Program. Within a short period of time, people spontaneously kept calling it the Breakthrough Experience because it was an experiential. Uh, and that's what they kept calling it, that Breakthrough okay. Experience. And it took a life of its own because of that. And I've now done it 1,115 times wow. in 66 countries, that particular program.
1: Wow. Over and and
2: you're,
1: you're, still, you're still doing it today?
2: I still do it today. I love it.
1: Oh, I, get to do one,
2: I get to do one next week and also the following week in London. Oh, on the, wow. And the 19th and 20th will be the last one for the year uh, in London. But I do okay. usually around, up until COVID, I was doing around 43 to 45 of those a year. In between all the other programs I do, I have 76 courses that I teach, but that's, that's the, that's the entry level.
1: Ah, okay. 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 So for me, when I went through it and it's been years, so I have to, I really want to go through this again. Uh, But the process itself, I thought was so beautiful about how. Um, and it, and it's something like I've even worked with, with some of my own clients of like when there's loss involved and, and uh, like, just as an example, uh, a, a year and a half ago, my mom passed who was 99 and a half. So, I, and then we kind of knew it was coming. So it, it wasn't a very traumatic experience, but this idea that somebody's energy is in our lives, whether they're physically in our lives or not. I found that to be so helpful for people to get over the trauma of loss. Um, how, how did that kind of synthesize for you? Where did it, this idea that we can find somebody's energy in our life, whether they're still with us or not?
2: This is going to be an interesting answer
1: Okay, good.
2: <laughs> when I left to go to California at 14,
1: uh-huh.
2: this is the 60s, right? right? So I get to Huntington Beach, California, I'm on the beach at 5pm, I'm on the tip of my surfboard looking out at the waves about to go out.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And over my left shoulder, a strawberry blonde 27 year old gorgeous woman came up to me and said, are you a runaway? And I said, well, not exactly. I got a, I got a ride to the freeway to hitchhike here. And um, she said, well, where are you staying? And I said, well, I'm gonna stay on the beach. She said, well, you can't stay on the beach here past 10 o'clock. There's a curfew here, but you can stay down at the the, the cliffs. I said, well, I guess I'll stay at the cliffs. She said, well, do you need a place to stay? Now when you're 14 and she's 27 mm-hmm. in those days, you're not going to pass up the opportunity to, yeah. stay, to stay at a beautiful girl's place. <laughs> right. So I followed her back to her place. She said, go take a shower. I'll clean your clothes. I'll make you some meal, something to eat. And I was wow. like going, this is fantastic. Yeah. And we chatted and we had this incredible connection and, and a lovely evening. And then she said, you can sleep up in the attic. There's a waterbed up there. You can sleep up in the attic and you walk up these steps, these, these things. And I heard her tinkering there in the kitchen and she came up afterwards and we made love. So this would be illegal today. Yes. I'm a, I'm a wonderful victim of that, you know? Yeah. And and so I was grateful for it. So anyway, we became really connected and she was a combination of girlfriend and mother. Uh. And I realized then when I got to know her, that she had been married, had a four-year-old son and her husband had wealth and took the son away from her. Ooh. So she was trying to get a job making bathing suits and selling them at the beach. That's why she saw me down there Mm. and was trying to make enough money to get her son back. Uh, Now what I figured at the time, which I put two and two together somehow, mm -hmm. her husband's age plus her son's age, if you put them together and divide by two, that was my age. If you took my mother's age and my average Mm -hmm. girlfriend's age and put them together and divide by two, that was her age. Oh. So she was playing the role of a girlfriend and mom. I was playing the role of a son and husband, and so we were making love as as a couple. But also, she was taking care of me as a as a kid.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So
2: when I realized that as a girlfriend, I realized, wow, it's nothing's missing. I've got a new form. I stayed with her for weeks. Mm-hmm. She finally got her son back.
1: Uh. I had to
2: move out. Ah. Uh. When I moved out, I went to the Golden uh, Bear, which is a nightclub, and I slept on a pallet behind the, the building.
0: Mm-hmm. And
2: BB King was playing.
1: Oh wow!
2: He came out and we had pretzels and nuts in the back together. And one of the girls there, the ladies there, who was uh, one of the waitresses, came back out there. And they were my parents' age, and they were taking care of me in the back and keeping on me, making sure I was fed. Wow. Then I left there and I got a job making smoothies and sandwiches at Jack's Surf Shop at Huntington Beach. And Jack was my father's age. And the lady that was running it was my mother's age. And they were feeding me and the girls from the beach were coming in and acting like the girlfriends and I was scoring there. Mm. I I watched my family morph into different forms Mm. when I was 14. When I hitchhiked down into Mexico, I saw the same thing happening. Mm-hmm. and i became kind of a in in, in in kind of aware that i don't have to worry about missing something
0: mm-hmm.
2: that was the seed that made me look at things and, but it didn't the, the grief process didn't come about until i was down surfing in el in la libertad el salvador
0: mm-hmm. and
2: i saw this massive group of people celebrating the death of a mayor and having a party with color and singing and dancing And they saw it as the freeing of the spirit, no longer constrained by a mortal body. Mm. And then I saw people with with grief from Greece wearing black for two years over the same experience. And I thought, wow, what's the difference in their psyche, their expectations and their viewpoint of these people? And that started my exploration in 1984. I started developing my method for this.
1: Oh, wow. Wow. And, and, you know, to me, one of the things that rings so true about it is the, that uh, first law of thermodynamics, that energy is neither created nor destroyed, it merely transforms state. So it's sort of like if there's this energy in our life, it's going to be in our life, it may not be the same, it, but it transforms state, so it's always there. Well, that information, according to Shannon, Claude Shannon,
2: mm-hmm. uh, entropy, the tendency to so-called randomness,
0: mm-hmm. is
2: missing information. So when we oh. perceive missing information that we're unconscious of, we have entropy, we have disorder.
0: Mm-hmm. But
2: when we ask the right questions, because a quarter of our life is basically quite the questions we ask. If we ask the right questions to become cognizant and fully conscious of the conscious and the unconscious synchronously,
0: mm-hmm.
2: we realize there was nothing ever missing. Mm-hmm. I, I, I had the opportunity to spend time with the Bumpur Lama in Nepal. And we had a great conversation for over an hour about one topic called, Nothing's Missing. Mm-hmm. And what I, I always say at the very essence, the very essence of our soul, the state of unconditional love, where we're not judging and not too proud or too humble to admit what we see in others inside us. There's no dismembered parts, no disowned parts. There's a fullness, a pleuromic fullness of everything there. But at the level of the existence of our senses, down in our terrestrial world, the world of trial, the world of judgment, we have a perception that we're greater or lesser. We don't have a balanced equation and we're too proud or too humble to admit what we see in the people around us, inside ourselves. And we have disowned parts and that's because we're unconscious of the parts that are really reflective, but unwilling to see them. And therefore, we create our chaos, our entropy and our aging and our gravitational pull to the earth instead of our radiational expansion into the celestial state of our real consciousness and so there's no boundary on us if we are embraced that nothing's missing in us and and that's a gnostic principle from the second century still carried down to today yeah
1: yeah beautiful beautiful okay it's time for us to take our last break of the show when we come back i would love to just um, have you maybe share with our audience uh, what you feel people need to hear or are or, 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 or calling to hear today in, in this world of the pandemic and lockdowns and and in this very sort of uh, unique, although it, it's, you know, it may be been a hundred years since the last time something like this happened, but for people who are living today, it's kind of a very unique situation for us. So, uh, you know, whatever kind of words you feel, would be most supportive and empowering at this time. Okay. Wonderful. And I do see, uh, Uh, Sanaya I'll ask your question to Dr. Demartini when we get back and William says that when he was 18 he had a similar experience with a 38 year old (laughs) so he relates to you so thank you uh, William for joining us everyone please stay tuned we'll come right back and we'll finish up with Dr. John Demartini you're listening to the Conscious Consultant Hour Awakening Humanity and we'll be right back
3: you're listening to Talk Radio NYC
7: Uplift, Educate, Empower. Are you a small business trying to navigate the COVID-19-related employment laws? Hello, I'm Eric Sauver, Employment Law Business Law Attorney and host of the new radio show, Employment Law Today. On my show, we'll have guests to discuss the common employment law challenges Business owners are facing during these trying times. Tune in on Tuesday evenings from 5 p.m. to 6 p.m. Eastern Time on talkradio.nyc.
4: Are you a business owner? Do you want to be a business owner? Do you work with business owners? Hi, I'm Stephen Fry, your small and medium sized business or SMB guy, and I'm the host of the new show, Always Friday.
1: Welcome back to the Conscious Consultant Now Awakening Humanity. We've been speaking this hour with Dr. D. Demartini. Uh, Dr. Martini, we just have a few minutes left. I would love if you would be open to kind of just what inspiration comes through you uh, to share with our audience today. What, do you, what comes through you that people really uh, would support them in knowing this, in, during this time? Each of us
2: have three things we have governance over our perceptions, our decisions and our actions. It is not what goes on outside us that really is matters as much as how we perceive it, what do we decide to do about it and how we act upon it. We can become victims of our history or become masters of our destiny based on those perceptions, decisions and actions. If we ask different questions, we have a different life.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: One of the questions we can ask is how is whatever is happening right now, my current reality, how is it helping me fulfill what's most deeply meaningful and most inspiring, my highest value, my mission for life? If we say it's not, we become a victim. Mm-hmm. If we say how it is, we become fueled with opportunity. So it's not what goes on out there. It's how we perceive it. By asking new questions, and holding ourselves accountable to link whatever's happening to what's highest on our value, we waken up our executive center, which is solution oriented. Mm-hmm. Now what's interesting is that the perceptions we have, we've had events in our life that we thought are terrible. And then a day, a week, a month, a year, five years later, we find out there's terrific sitting inside there. Yeah. So why have the wisdom of the ages with the aging process? And we can ask the question and have the wisdom of wisdom the ages without it. And also on a daily basis, ask yourself, what is the highest priority action I can do today that will allow me to serve the greatest number of people with the resources I have access to in the most efficient, effective manner. And also make sure that you don't compare your current reality to a fantasy of the way it used to be, or the fantasy way you wish it would be. Get grounded on what's actually there and how is it helping you fulfill what's really deeply meaningful to you. When you do that, you realize that there is nothing but opportunity and everything is on the way, not in the way.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. So beautifully said. My dear friend, Jennifer Huff, uh, likes to use the phrase, life happens for us, not to us. And uh, ever since I heard that phrase, I repeat it to myself as often as possible. So true. So you had had that vision long, long time ago, I was speaking in front of a million people. I take it you've been doing this so long, you've probably spoken in front of millions of people by now.
2: Um, I keep record of everything. Really? A goal, a real objective that you value, you want a metric
4: mm-hmm. to
2: find out how to refine your actions daily towards that objective. Mm. So every time I do a radio show, a a podcast, a live seminar, I keep records. I have a 26 volume gratitude journal that's about, well, some volumes are 800 pages. So that's, you can tell you, there's a lot to it. Wow. And I keep metrics of every one of those things. Every breakthrough I do, every program I do, how many people are attended. And I've been blessed to have many shows that have millions of people. Hmm. The biggest one was in Russia where literally 150 million people were listening.
1: Really? Wow. 99
2: million had another one, 43 million. This year, we've done 250 million already this year, just this year. Wow. So I'm a firm believer that with the podcast and the radio and the television and the newspapers and the magazines and the books and the, the movies, we filmed 42 movie documentaries. All of those are reaching millions of people. My dream was to do that. And Mm -hmm. if you never give up on your dream, I -hmm. I, I have a little joke. If you stay with something long enough, everybody dies out, you just got to live long enough and you end up at the top. (laughs) But but if you're on a relentless pursuit of the divine master plan that you feel is called in your life, um, it seems like the universe is, is giving you nothing but feedback to help you get it you want to see life on the way, not in the way by asking, because every one of your physiological symptoms are feedback. Psychological Mm -hmm. symptoms are feedback. Sociological symptoms are feedback. Business symptoms are feedback. Mm -hmm. Everything is a feedback to your authenticity. Mm -hmm. To the degree that you do, you're in the flow, you're in the zone.
0: Right.
2: And you, you, when you're, it's almost like the universe is wanting you to be the magnificence that you really are. So, don't compare yourself to somebody else. Mm-hmm. Compare your own actions to what is most deeply meaningful to you and prioritize those actions daily. It will raise your self worth. It will expand your space right. and time horizons. It will allow you to create your genius. It will allow you to shine, not shrink, mm-hmm. and allow you to exemplify instead of follow. Mm-hmm.
1: Beautiful, beautiful. So well said. One last question for you, and, and I'm pretty sure I know the answer to this already, but I'm going to ask it anyway. I imagine you're rather hopeful about the future right now, um, in spite of the fact that in certain respects, at, at, across the globe, in some ways, we seem very divided. Um, what do you see sort of going forward? Where do you see that this sort of atmosphere that that's around the world where do you see things going
2: well i would say division is not having a broad enough mind to see that those two poles are entangled yeah the broader the mind the more you see they call it the overview effect you have a celestial view you can't judge a terrestrial view loves to judge because terrestrial means trial Yeah. yeah so I don't see the problem. I see solutions. I, I mm. all the, all the problems that people talk about, I love Bucky Fuller's statement, pollution is future solution.
0: Mm. Yes. And in,
2: uh, the things that we are emotional about today, emotions are signs of incomplete awareness. Grace is a sign of full awareness. Mm. So, it's, I always say that it's wise to act with efficiency, not because of a problem, but because it's just wise to act that way. Mm -hmm. Self-governance from within does not require outside governance on the outside. Mm. So I don't see the problems. I see how there's pairs of opposites working together. There's a law of heuristic escalation. That's a sociopolitical law that has been known for many years. Mm -hmm. It's a chaos theory that says that anytime you promote some idealism, uh, the equal and opposite will emerge to keep it in check, to make sure that all value systems across the spectrum are honored and that the building and destroying, which is transformative is necessary for the resilience and adapt- adaptation to an ongoing changing universe. Mm-hmm. So we have to be willing to transcend the rigidities of our attachments and constantly be resilient enough to adapt and honor both sides. Cause you need support and challenge. If you got over-supported, you'd stay juvenile dependent. If you got over-challenged, you become precociously independent. When you can see both of them at the same time, the prey and the predator are both necessary for maximum fitness. You embrace the balance, even though they seem to be separated, they're actually entangled mm. and complementary. Just like the two strands of a DNA go in opposite directions, right. The two alleles are opposite. They're actually making a complementary hole.
1: Beautiful, beautiful. I can't think of a better place to end the show. Thank you, Doctor D. Martini. If people want to find out about your workshops, your seminars, learn more about your material, where should they go?
2: Simply go to drdmartini.com. Just drdmartini.com. And on there, there's a lovely cont- uh, gift that you can go go and do your value determination. Go find value determination on there. It's complimentary. It's private. It's free. Go do that to look at what's really important to you, because mm-hmm. sometimes we subordinate to the conformity on the outside and don't dig enough inside. We don't dig deep enough inside to find out really what we're really committed to.
1: Right, right. All right. Beautiful. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for taking the time out of your current class to come on the show today. I Thank truly appreciate you. I could speak with you for hours, Dr. D. DeMartini. Well, I could I do the speak. same. Thank you
2: so much for the great interview
1: you're you're quite welcome you're quite welcome this is one of my shows where I'm actually going to have to go back and listen to the recording because we had so many deep insights there I know there's a lot for me in this as well so thank you so much have a beautiful rest of the day beautiful holiday season I wish you all the best
7: thank and you
1: uh, And thank you once again. And thank you, my loyal listeners and everybody tuning in. If you enjoyed the show, please share it. Please tell your friends about it. Um, This was a particularly special show, a real gift for the holiday season. So thank you all for tuning in. Um, Please stay tuned. Coming up next, it's Ken Foster and his show Voices of Courage, followed later this afternoon by Antonia and her show So Now You Know at 5 p.m. Eastern time and Graham Dobbin and his show The Mind Behind Leadership at 7 p.m. Take care, everybody. We will talk to you next week.
3: You're listening to Talk Radio NYC at www.talkradio.nyc. Now broadcasting 24
6: hours a day.
5: Hi, I'm Graham Dobbin. Join me every Thursday evening for the Mind Behind Leadership here on talkradio.nyc. We speak to people from business, sport, military and politics, all around what makes a great leader the personal experiences of what's worked and, maybe more importantly, what hasn't worked. So that's 7 o'clock every Thursday evening. The Mind Behind Leadership here on talkradio.nyc. Listen to real stories of real
4: leaders. Do you love or are you intrigued about New York City and its neighborhoods? I'm Jeff Goodman, host of Rediscovering New York, a weekly show that showcases New York's history and its extraordinary neighborhoods. Every Tuesday live at 7 p.m., we focus on a particular neighborhood and explore its history, its vibe, its feel, and its energy. Tune in live every Tuesday at 7 p.m. on talkradio.nyc.
6: Are you a curious person, always asking questions? Do you desire to be in the know? Then join me, Antonia, host of So Now You Know, Thursdays at 5 p.m. at talkradio.nyc. Listen in as I attempt to satisfy that curiosity. I will be talking with amazing everyday people. Join the fun. So now you know on Thursdays at 5 p.m. at talkradio.nyc.
3: Hey, all you listeners looking to boost your business. Why not advertise on Talk Radio NYC with very reasonable rates? Interested? Simply send us a message on our website, talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC. Uplift, educate, empower.
4: Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop.
1: Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you.